Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership Podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership Podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today, we're going to be discussing last Monday's interview with Dr. Wes Griffin, who's the president and CEO at the International Leadership Institute. If you have not had a chance to listen to that episode yet, I would recommend you go back to listen to it. But uh, if you haven't had a chance, it's fine. I think, Austin, that you would say that this episode is probably going to be good as a standalone, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, once again, obviously, Austin Broom is back with me. Also, we have Anna Maria Dempsey and Michelle Mihalko. So thank you so much for joining us. What did y'all think about the interview? I thought it was really, really good. There were actually a lot of really great sound bites that just stuck with me. Uh, One in particular is, and it was a little bit of a slap in the face because I don't do this, but uh, Wes said that every year he says to himself, the Wes Griffin this year, if he doesn't grow, is not going to be adequate to continue to lead this organization. A little convicting. No kidding. Anna Maria, what did you think? Yeah, I thought it was very interesting um, just to learn about something new that I've never heard of um, that's clearly on a monumental scale. Michelle? To add to that, I think just even hearing the story of how he met someone who was a fourth generation, uh, I can't remember what word he used, but just to see that 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 influence and and the power of training one leader and then saying you are now responsible to train another generation of leaders. Um, it's just so cool to see that play out all across the the world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He, it was a, someone who had received training and he was, he had received training from someone who had received training and going back, he said four generations and, and he was able to trace that lineage, so to speak, uh, all the way back to the trainers at the International Leadership Institute, which is really neat. Also talked a little bit about some of the people who had just been responsible for the training of thousands, tens of thousands of people uh, from what they started, which is really neat. One of the things that Wes talked about was how for him earlier on in his life, a lack of understanding about at least certain aspects of leadership in his own life led him to begin asking deeper questions about leadership as a whole. And so I guess my question is, have any of you ever had an experience like that where you had some lack of understanding in your life? It could relate to leadership or something else that kind of led you to a deeper exploration to understand more. Yeah. So in my work as a therapist, that can happen quite often because obviously you go through schooling and get an overview of of all the things, um, all the things, all the things, but every person is different. And so they may, they might have something that's not as common. And so then it's up to me to go educate myself, um, about that issue and better be prepared to help them. Sure. What about the other two of you? I think I'm currently in that season of my life right now where it's the first year that I'm in the job that I'm in where I develop student leaders. Um, And so part of this for me, you know, I had some expectations going into it, um, but I'm learning that I don't have all the answers all the time in how to practically 
um, develop them as a team. And so right now I'm in a season where I'm, I'm ordering books like every other week from Amazon and <laughs> looking up. It's a dangerous path. Oh my goodness. And support groups on Facebook and different things like that um, for other people doing the same kind of work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I uh, Craig Groeschel actually uh, listened to some of his podcasts. For some context, for those who may not know, who is yeah, Craig so, Groeschel? So Craig Groeschel is the pastor of Life Church, and he he has a, a leadership podcast that I enjoy listening to, um, and and he actually talks about how one of the greatest uh, catalysts for innovation is actually a lack of some kind of resource. Hmm. Um, and I know for myself, one of the one of the things I've gotten into recently is coding, um, which, which is something I never would have thought I would have been interested in, but. Uh, at, at my job, we, we had a particular situation where nobody was able to address a particular website issue we were having. And so I figured, well, it needs to get resolved. So I looked into some of the coding stuff, ended up figuring out the problem. And as a result, also figured out that I love coding. So I'm actually going to be pursuing some certifications in coding now. Wow. Something I never would have thought prior to uh, fixing a problem because I was the only person who could remotely try. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things for me that I kind of thought about, and it doesn't relate to leadership, is when I started actually making a full salary, my questions about finances all of a sudden got a lot deeper. So I started really trying to figure <laughs> out what what do I do with this stuff that's coming in right now? You know, how do I use it well? How do I use my money well? And I, I think it's it's helpful to identify kind of those those points of weakness or lack of knowledge, and to really. Um, to really identify those and make sure that you're exploring those because you know there's something to be said for playing to your strengths but at the same time if you if you kind of just ignore an area of weakness in your life you're, you're really missing opportunities to develop something that could become a strength because for Wes leadership is now kind of the focus of his life and it was some of those questions that he had that led him to really get answers that have made a huge difference now in the lives of over a quarter million people. Uh, so another question that I had is uh, he mentioned that it kind of in addition to this, this these these questions that he had got him started on um, kind of understanding leadership. But he also said that when he was in Estonia working on uh, helping this university to become accredited, he really began kind of furthering those questions, and it kind of helped me to to, to realize that there are things in our lives that may not seem connected at first, but they kind of stack on top of each other. They kind of connect to each other to really help us to grow in certain areas of our lives. And so that kind of led me to the, the question, what experiences have you had that work together in your life to kind of help you to become good at what you're doing right now that maybe didn't seem connected with each other when you first started out? Uh, I went to school with the intention of getting a degree in theater, which I did. I did get a degree in theater, but I had no idea that it would lead to an interest in leadership. Um, what I did with while I was a student um, is I was a stage manager. So essentially I would oversee a whole production and direct students. I was the communicator between director and technicians and all these people. And at the time I didn't see it as a training in management, but ultimately I left and desired to develop that even more. And that's how I'm in student development. Now. That's awesome. You know, I, uh, in high school, especially the my least favorite subject and the thing I got the most stressed about was having to write, uh, write papers, organize thoughts. It just it stressed me out like nobody's business. And then around scholarship time, especially, um, it just I, I thought there's no way I'm gonna be able to do this. 
Uh, but at the request of a friend, uh, he said, hey, you need to, when you go into college, your first semester, take the advanced expos and research class, not the beginner entry level. Um, and it didn't make sense to me, but I did it kind of because I, I, I trusted him and um, ended up discovering that I absolutely love writing. And, and my professor was absolutely amazing, Prof Jenkins. She she made me realize, like, writing is amazing. I'm actually very, very good at it. And and now that that is the... That is what set me up for now having a career in communications because you don't go very far in the field of communications if you don't like or can't write. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would say, honestly, some of the most painful experiences in my personal life have definitely played a part in being able to um, meet someone else where they're at uh, with empathy, whether that's a client or even just a, a relationship with a friend. So one question I had thought of was, how can other leaders find measurability in their efforts if evaluations aren't a protocol for their particular setting? So for instance, like in most work organizations, there's a layers of evaluation. It's part of HR. So if someone was to be a leader in a, I guess, non-traditional setting where they're clearly impacting and leading people, how, how do we think we, they can measure their impact if there's not that sort of evaluations in place? Well, one thing that I would say is that, and, and Wes, Wes talked about this in his interview, they, they had some assessments and things like that, and they had a pretty good idea of what they were doing. Uh, they, they had seen the fruit of what they were doing. They had talked with people who had you know, trained tens of thousands of people and, and even people that had not had quite that much impact, but they had a good idea of, of their impact. Uh, but when they really wanted to understand, they went outside the organization. And I think there's something to be said for that. It can be difficult because it costs money. And that's that. Once again, uh, we've kind of already brought this up, but one of the things about a small organization is that you don't have the resources you need. But at some point, being able to get unbiased people to come in and give you an idea of what the numbers say and things like that can be really helpful. So I don't know if that's the answer for non-traditional organizations, because once again, sometimes non-traditional can also be code for we don't have much money. But that 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 can be a difficulty. So I don't know how to overcome that. But sure. you definitely need some some unbiased opinions in there. Austin, did you say something earlier that had to do with when there isn't kind of a standard, you have a chance to be innovative? That's the word that you used. Yeah. Yeah. So the, basically a catalyst for innovation mm -hmm. is having a lack of resources. Right. That kind of made me think of, of your question, Anna Maria, in how um, sometimes when there isn't a structure, that's an opportunity to create a structure and to kind of be able to say, okay, we don't have real assessment data, um, but how can we ask questions that will lead to results and, and lead to measurable data? Did you have any thought about how to actually bring some assessment into organizations? No, I genuinely thought this, you know, this is great. I love what's going on for this organization. How could that practically help someone that's maybe leading a small group, um, whether that's with church or otherwise? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I, I think that there are probably assessments and things like that out there that you can search for online and kind of see what other people are doing. At the same time, part of the thing is that you need to know what to measure. And so when you're talking about working with people in, in a close context, you have to know what exactly are the outcomes. And I don't know if you have experience with that as someone who works with, with individuals. Is there any uh, assessment as a therapist that is concrete or is it more subjective for each person? I would have to say it's subjective for each person. You should be checking in with your client, making sure they feel like they're meeting their goals and things. But aside from that, you know, it's not like they fill out a survey after each time they leave. So 
Um, it can feel kind of unsure if you feel like anything's impacting them. Yeah. In my PhD program, we are focused on a number of different types of research, and the two main ones are qualitative and quantitative. Of course, quantitative means working more with uh, the, the hard numbers, the, just the facts, so to speak, and, and qualitative is more focused on interviews and observations and things like that. Now, the quantitative people will say that their approach is a lot more hard-lined and scientific, perhaps. But there's also something to be said for qualitative. I think that, that Wes kind of shared that they're doing some of both of those things. And I think that in different points in the life of, of organizations or groups, quantitative can be very helpful. But there should always be qualitative measures uh, interacting with people and trying to figure out, are we reaching some of these goals? And you may not have numbers to back it up, but definitely talking with people and, and making sure that you're actually meeting the goals. At the end of the day, that's what's most important. When you get large enough, sometimes you have to have the numbers because the people that you're talking to, if they're too close to you, they're just always going to be saying good things. And you need to be able to, to hear the hard truth sometimes. Yeah, I, I really like that he he said at one point, Wes said at some point, when they started this thing, they weren't trying to create an organization. They were just trying to solve a problem. Hmm. And so I, I really like that. And maybe that's part of the the struggle of trying to figure out how do you quantitatively you know, measure like, okay, did we solve the problem? Uh, but I love that that's their focus. It wasn't on let's create this streamlined organization. Um, and it, you know, it's kind of turned into that. Um, uh, but it all started with what he said, we're just trying to f- solve a problem here. So I thought that was really neat. And I kind of like that there was that little bit of a struggle maybe from the organizational perspective, because they're more focused on let's solve the problem and we'll make the organization work to fit the problem then rather than just be so focused on creating some airtight, excellent, you know, calculating machine. Yeah. And I was listening to an interview earlier this week, and I forget even who it was that was talking, but there was a lady who was talking about her organization. And she was saying that there, there are people, I think she's a coach and people come to her and they ask her questions about like, you know, uh, they hear about all these massive things that seem like they're really difficult to do. And they say, this is too much. You know, how do I handle all this stuff? And she says, you'll learn that stuff as you grow. You have to grow into some of these things. There are these these challenges. There are processes. There, there are HR issues that at a smaller level, you don't have to focus on. But at some point, uh, you, you'll... As you, as you meet those new challenges, you grow into those. So I think it's one of those things that you really have to know uh, what level you're at and what is best for the level that you're at. This reminds me of something he talked about, how he said that as you're your leaders are growing, you also have to grow um, Mm. or be developed as your organization is growing. Um, So my question to you guys is how do you avoid plateauing at some point? Um, You know, I think Wes said this and it's what kind of caught me off guard a little bit because that's not how I typically think of mentoring, but he talks about how every year he actually asks somebody and it sounded like it was a, a different person every year to, to coach him in new areas as he's growing and that's something I've never thought about because I tend to be a, you find something you like, you stick with it, right? When I go to a restaurant, I always order the same thing because I've had it and it's great. Uh, it drives my wife crazy. But to be able to say, okay, guess what? I'm going to take a new year and actually get a new mentor um, or or a new coach in some new area. I really like that. I think that's a good way to help keep you from stagnating. So I'm going to take that and, and probably apply that to my own life. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that stuck out to me that he talked about was just inviting people to speak into his life whether it's uh, someone that changes all the time or not. Uh, he said that, you know, he, he talks to, I believe it's his board and says, I need this to help me. 
and having that self-awareness that you, you need to be growing is really important and, and making sure that you give people permission in your life, whether you're saying to a friend, hey, I need you to hold me accountable here or whether you're telling your board, hey, I need you to provide this for me. When you do that, it takes weight off of people whenever there is something that comes up because you've already asked for them to help you out. Yeah, and I think to get to that point, requires bravery to ask, but ultimately humility to keep yourself in a position of be able to receive feedback at any time. So before we get to key takeaways, he talked about training versus mobilizing. And I think this is a very important point that really gets to the heart of what ILI is doing. He talked about how when someone was trained, they receive, but when someone is mobilized, they're challenged to take the torch and pass it on. And he said that it's the people that are doing the equipping that grow the most. And so I guess my question is, as leaders, how do you get people involved rather than just giving them knowledge? I think ultimately they're going to be drawn to your example. People are drawn to you by the way they see you living your life. Um, and therefore, I guess you'd be leading by example because they, that to them, the seeing what you do means more than what you say. And then doing what you do, not just, oh, watch me. It's, hey, come do it too. I'm, I'm learning that with, with my son uh, who is he's a year old now, and uh, it's amazing the the things that he has started doing because I do them, and that's what's making him d- grow and develop. It's not just watching Dad do all these things; it's seeing Dad do something and then taking it and then doing it himself and then growing in that way. So that that's how he is developing. Um, so it's it's really cool to see. And funny enough, then as parenting tends to do, the lesson is flipped on myself. Then of oh where am I taking things that I'm seeing? Cause I'm really good at, especially seeing other people's uh, mistakes and saying, Oh, I'm going to learn from that. But, but seeing the things that they're doing well and saying, okay, got that. How can I start doing it in my own life? I really appreciated that Wes, he was so intentional. I don't know that he used the word intentional or intentionality, but it came across in everything that he said, both in the way he was talking about most leaders don't raise up leaders. He talks about, we aren't trying to create an organization, but we solve a problem. Or he says, he's always asking himself every year, you know, how can I get better? How can I grow? And he's always asking himself, why, why am I doing what I'm doing? Not just what am I doing, but why am I doing it? Um, I just keep seeing that, that intentionality come up over and over and over again. Well, let's go ahead and get to our key takeaways. There are a lot of things that we could highlight, but if you're going to leave the audience with one, two, or three things, what are the key things that you think are important to highlight from this interview? Michelle, what do you say? I think from his his example, we definitely see that you can't undervalue whatever you're doing today and whatever you're starting, whatever you're being intentional with, um, because it does multiply and it will have lasting effects that will so far outnumber you. Yeah. I love that quote. Uh, I don't even know if it's a quote, but we tend to overestimate what we can do in a day or in the short term, but underestimate what we can do in the long term. And it goes right into what you're saying. Very true. Um, I think the key takeaway I would take from this specific episode on leadership is there's value in the evaluation and assessment of yourself. My big takeaway uh, is intentionality, being intentional, always asking yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? always repeating to yourself, I, I need to be growing and everything I'm doing. Uh, otherwise I I'm not an effective leader. If I'm not growing, if I'm not improving, if I'm not intentionally pursuing things. And then he talks about you know, hope is not a strategy saying, basically you, you, you can't just hope for something to happen one day. You can't just with all your might will it. 
you have to go out and do something. You have to create smart goals, smart uh, plans and strategies. So it, it's all about this intentionality in doing everything. That's how you're going to be successful. That's how you're going to be effective as a leader. Absolutely. Yeah. The constant growth thing was big for me. Uh, just um, constantly be growing and be preparing for whatever's next. You don't know what's next, but whatever the next phase is, be preparing for whatever that is. In addition to that, also the idea of mobilizing people instead of just training them because learning and action is a better combination than just learning by itself. And the final thing is don't be afraid, kind of like you you were saying, Anna Maria, regarding assessment, don't be afraid to ask the hard questions about what you're doing and where you're going and being open to what those answers are. Well, Austin, Anna Maria, Michelle, thank you so much for joining the podcast this week and for sharing your insight with us. Usually the end of our conversation means the end of the show, but today that's not the case. We actually had to cut the conversation a little bit short because of some time constraints we had. So I wanted to take a few minutes to talk about something that I think could be helpful to you as a leader as you are making decisions. Recently, in one of my doctoral classes, we've been talking about something called the Abilene Paradox. And I want to share with you a little bit more about that before the end of our time today. Sometime before 1974, when Jerry Harvey first wrote about the Abilene Paradox in an article by that same name in the Organizational Dynamics Journal, he had this experience. He and his wife were visiting his in-laws in Coleman, Texas. They were all sitting around one steamy summer day playing dominoes outside when Jerry's father-in-law had an idea. He said, hey, let's go eat at the cafeteria in Abilene. Now, Abilene was 53 miles away, and Jerry was thinking to himself, there's no way that it's worth driving 53 miles on dusty roads in a car without air conditioning to eat at this cafeteria. But his wife said, sounds like a great idea. What do you think, Jerry? And with unflinching resolve, Jerry said, Sounds great, honey. Just so long as your mother's interested in doing it too. And her mother said, sure, it sounds like a great idea. So they all hopped in the car and went to Abilene. As expected, the food wasn't that great. And they ended up driving 106 miles that day up and down dusty roads in a car without air conditioning. And when they got back, Jerry said, that was a good afternoon, wasn't it? And no one really said anything. And then one by one, they began to confess that they really hadn't wanted to go But the reason they had agreed to go or wanted to go in the first place was because each of them thought that the others would want to do it. So essentially, they had all made a decision that they did not want to make because they thought that everyone else wanted to do it. In his article, Jerry Harvey defines the Abilene Paradox as this. Organizations frequently take actions in contradiction to what they really want to do and therefore defeat the very purposes they're trying to achieve. Let me read that again. Organizations frequently take actions in contradiction to what they really want to do and therefore defeat the very purposes they're trying to achieve. So let me ask you this. Are you making decisions in your organization or in your group or in your life because you think they're the best decisions or because you think they're decisions that other people want you to make? The Abilene Paradox may remind you of another organizational issue you've probably heard of called groupthink. Now, groupthink is a little bit different because what happens in groupthink is that everyone begins thinking the same way just because they're in an echo chamber almost. And what happens is they all are making decisions that they think will lead to a great future 
when in reality they may actually be going to their very demise. But at least they're happy doing it. The Abilene paradox is insanity because what's happening is everyone is making decisions based on what they think other people want instead of doing what's actually best for the organization. So the thought I want to leave you with today is this. When you are making decisions, are you willing to stand up and say what you think needs to be said? This doesn't mean that you always need to get your way, but if you're just saying what you think everyone else wants to hear, and if everyone else is doing the same, then your team could end up heading in some really dangerous directions. So instead, speak up. Let your voice be heard, and if other people's ideas end up being better than yours, that's okay. But never find yourself in a situation where you're making decisions just to keep everyone else happy. Because if you're doing that and everyone else is doing that, then you'll never be able to accomplish the goals that you want to and that you need to accomplish. So the next time you're playing dominoes on a steamy summer afternoon and someone asks you to do something else but you want to keep on playing dominoes, just keep on playing. Thanks for joining the show this week. I hope you learned something new and feel more prepared to take leadership in your own life to the next level. If you found this content valuable and would like to help out the podcast, here are three things you can do. One, subscribe to the podcast so you'll get new episodes each week as they come out. Two, share this week's interview with someone you think would benefit from it. Or three, give us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. All three of these actions will make it easier for others to find us and join the community. You can never have too many good leaders, right? Until next time, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. 
If Business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now, or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.